the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Warner, and with me today, we have two special guests. It's like a special bonus edition for you listeners. We have Mike and Carmen McCracken. They are co-founders of the Firecracker Pepper Sauce. Mike and Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Ryan. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this because I know you both are very accomplished professionals in your own right. And then you together have started and founded, rather, this uh, hot sauce company, which is booming and award-winning, by the way. So congrats on that. And we just can't wait to hear. I speak for my listeners as well. Can't wait to hear more about it. Awesome. All right. So, Mike, let, let's get started with you. We're, we're going to dig in here. I'm going to kind of try to peel back the layers one at a time. I know you're presently wearing multiple hats during the day. You do a lot of different things. Can you describe what's a what's a day in the life of Mike right now for our listeners? Oh, so a day in the life is pretty busy. So I'd love to work on firecracker pepper sauce full time as there's more than enough to do. But uh, we have a mortgage and expenses and we're trying to start a family. So I don't really have the risk appetite to bet it all on a food startup being able to support us immediately. I don't think I'd be able to sleep at night without the security of a nine to five to pay the bill. Mm -hmm. So right now I'm still working my nine to five job. Um, I have an engineering job, so it's uh, it needs my full attention. It's not really nine to five. It's more like an eight till four. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) same thing, but okay. Same thing. So I'll do that until about four (laughs) o'clock. Then I usually uh, head on over to our firecracker production space and I'll, I'll work from four o'clock till about midnight or so. And then on weekends, I often have some work for my other job to do, but the rest of the time I'm doing firecracker stuff. Uh, So for Firecracker, uh, both of us do all aspects of the job. So we both do sales, marketing, production, equipment sourcing, hiring, minor distribution. We work with a distributor for major accounts, but uh, we're doing all aspects of the job right now. And so it's a lot of work. It's around the clock. But the the one really nice thing about being our own boss is we have a lot of flexibility. So for family commitments and social commitments, we can always take an evening or weekend off whenever we want. And so we still manage to fit everything into our lives. Uh, the only things I'm really missing are sleep and <laughs> downtime to just to just chill out and read a book. Like I'm a bit of a an introvert guy. I like to have some time to just spend by myself and I have none of that right now. Yeah, that's a great question. I was actually going to ask that as you were speaking. When you finish, say your 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 eight to four job, the the, the engineering job. And then you transition into going to the the production facility for the firecracker pepper sauce. At that time, like, does that rejuvenate you? And does that give you, does that energize you changing gears and working on something that is solely yours? Or are you kind of like mentally wiped by that point and you're trudging through? I'm I'm usually pretty mentally wiped. I guess the nice thing is uh, the type of work I'm doing is usually pretty different from what I've been doing all day. So I'll usually take a bit of a break, chill out for a little bit, get something to eat. And then it's tough to get into doing a second job. But then once I get going, I'm usually good. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And I've heard that for years, people saying like, do follow your passion. You know, when you're done, your nine to five, start something new, start, do something you want to do. And 
I always think to myself that that's really challenging to do for a lot of folks who, you know, by the time they finish, they're just exhausted and then they have to make dinner and their families and everything else. It's tough to then like shift all your gears to something else. Yeah, and it's especially hard when it's a second job. I find when it's just a hobby, it's a bit easier because you can just pick and choose and do the fun parts that you like to do. But once it's a job, you have to deal with all the unpleasant bits as well as the pleasant bits. So once once you're making money off it, it takes a little bit of the joy out of it. But I'd still rather be doing nothing else. Like I really enjoy what I do. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine just because I'm, I'm envisioning like people are depending on you now, right? Like you have, you know, you have employees and they need to, to get their marching orders and to earn their salaries for their families. So it's, you're, you're responsible for more now than yourself. Yeah. And Carmen, what about you? You are running it full time. That That's your, your full-time job right now. What's that like? Um, yeah. So I guess like the day-to-day -day is different every day. So there's a lot of variety in the job on a day-to-day -day basis. So like some days I'm in the production space, other days uh, I'm on the road, just driving, doing store visits, popping in, making sure our retail accounts are looking good, that they're stocked. Other days, sometimes we're dropping off, you know, little orders to accounts that we can't uh, do through our distributors. Other days we're working on new sales accounts. So every day is kind of different, but actually that's what I love so much about this is that things don't look the same. Like they don't all like your days are, are varied with different challenges, different types of things happening. So they don't all look the same. And you kind of have this, like, I don't know, like what if all the time, right? Like there's always this sense of wonder and like, you know, what next and next steps. And I don't know, it just allows you to like dream and be creative because things aren't all like captured within that nine to five framework. Um, we have tried to add some structure over the last few years to our lives though, because if you're always in this like place of uh, wonder or dreaming or like sense of what's next, then you really can't have any structure in your life. So over the last couple of years, we've tried to, you know, set a bit of a schedule for ourselves with when we get firecracker stuff done. So Mike does, he, he does work two full-time jobs. That is like, for sure. He works two full-time jobs. I have the you know, I'm very fortunate to be in a position to work one full-time job, which is just firecracker. Mm -hmm. um, and that definitely just energizes me because there's just so much to it. And it's always learning something new and like a new challenge every day and like stretching my skill set in ways that I never thought possible. Right. Or never even foresaw for myself. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, like what you described there, bringing the shipping to locations that didn't have it set up, like you don't think of that. That's going to be part of the job, by the way, you know, when you start the, the sauce business. So yeah, I'm sure we don't do that lot. for too, too many accounts, but yeah, there's like the, some where you have to do that. Or like, for example, traveling to conferences or different industry events or whatever it is. So um, the days are all different. The seasons are different right now. We're in the busiest quarter for ourselves. Like in most people in uh, the retail spaces, this is their busiest time of the year. So it's quite go, go, go right now. Um, which I wouldn't have known before not being in a retail environment. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I worked at a grocery store when I was young, like teenager, but I I didn't know that. Why why is that? The, the Q4 is always the, the busiest quarter for sauces? I had no idea. I think for most brands, it has a tendency to be the busiest quarter. But for us, I think it's partially because our products are also a giftable item. So people buy a lot of our products for Christmas gifts, for example, stocking, stocking, stocking stuffers um, 
And so, yeah, like it, it gets quite busy. Our online sales gets quite busy as well as our store sales. That's awesome. Yeah, that is, it is a very stocking stuffer friendly gift when you think about it. Um, yeah. And is this something, so I got to ask, my, my mind is going crazy. Is this something you always wanted to do? Like when you were younger, I always wanted to start my own business or I always wanted to share this hot sauce with the world type of thing. When I was younger, I wanted to start my own business. I never thought it would be in the food space. I always thought it would be, uh, I don't know, something more technology related. Yeah. Um, then as I got older and saw how much work it was starting a business, I never thought I'd be starting any business at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know about Carmen. Um, no, I never like really, I never really envisioned myself starting a business. I didn't know what the definition of an entrepreneur was until we became entrepreneurs. I never thought like, like I personally like, um, I like helping people. Like I went into uh, my training is in law and I went into law because I really believe in access to justice issues. And I believe in kind of serving people mm -hmm. in a different way than, than I've seen myself serving people through being a manufacturing entrepreneur. But I never thought like, I would start my own business but if i did i would i would see myself more kind of one-on-one -on -one working with clients with you know people who really need help with access to the law or things like that mm -hmm. um so this is a segue like this is not what i envisioned you know when i was 10 or 15 years old or whatever it was but the more and more i embrace what it's like to be a consumer packaged goods entrepreneur the more i realize entrepreneurship is my calling and i absolutely love it and i don't think i could go backwards like just the amount of personal growth, freedom, flexibility, the amount of ability to challenge yourself to, you know, go to that next step and to be able to really serve people and add value to people's lives and see something that you created from idea to store shelves and, and it adds so much joy to people's lives when they're consuming the product. Like that's such a, like such a remarkable feeling. And it just creates this desire to want to continue to do that and continue to introduce people to that. So it, 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 it's just not anything I ever saw myself doing, but it's so rewarding. Oh, I imagine it is, but I, I can totally sympathize with what you said earlier on having a startup. Well, it's not even a startup, but like starting your own company, being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. the layperson wouldn't know this, but it takes so much time and effort and there's risk and there's, there, it just takes a certain type of person to be able to do it. You know, and I think we all have, I, I mean, I have those friends. I kind of speak for a lot of people. We all have the one friend who's like, oh yeah, I should start my own company. I should do this. I should do that. And you don't realize how much work that is. So definitely hats off to to both of you. Mike working two full-time jobs. It's gotta be, it's gotta be uh, tough some days I can imagine. Yeah. It's, it's pretty exhausting. <laughs> but, it's but he's young and youthful. So <laughs> yes, you are. I will say though, like, a lot of people want to start their own company. They think it's an easy way to make money, but it's especially a, a capital intensive company like manufacturing a product that people buy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's probably like the hardest way to make money. Mm -hmm. Like we get paid last. Everyone else gets paid before us. Everyone that we borrow money from, all of our uh, distributors, everyone that supplies us with stuff, anyone that we hire. And then if there's anything left over, maybe we pay ourselves. So it's it's a tough grind. Yeah. So you have to do it for way more than money. Like money kind of has to be a secondary thought. Unfortunately, I, I, I will say that like if, if you're thinking just in terms of how can I turn that dollar quickly? Mm -hmm. Like, I think that it's something that you'll give up quite easily. Right. So we don't really, 
think that way. We think like, how can we offer value to our customer, to our consumer? Why are we different? What's our, like, why purchase our product, which is, Mm -hmm. comes at a much higher cost than, than, than somebody else's, for example. And why should you be supporting us over somebody else or in, in addition to support somebody else? And so we really focus on adding value to people's lives. And, you know, we don't compromise with our ingredients and we don't compromise with like the quality of our product. And so it takes a lot of commitment to go that route, but you have to do it because you believe you're adding some kind of good value to the world, to people, right? And I think that's a big part of why we continue to do this is we see that people are happy as a result of what we're adding to to, to society, right? Absolutely. And I think that would be the way to do it. It starts off as kind of like a labor of love and then it turned to you have to make those tough decisions. I imagine at some point, do you sacrifice the quality for a higher profit margin or do you maintain it for the longevity of the, the product for the success down the road? It's, it's tough to, to make those decisions. Uh, and I'm sure you've made plenty of others, which leads me to my next question. Being that this is the first venture into entrepreneurship, what has been like the most surprising to you so far on this journey? For me, I think the whole thing was pretty surprising. Um, it was surprising that anything took off. I didn't have very high expectations when we started. Okay. <laughs> Probably just because I'm, I'm a big pessimist. I we knew, oh, okay. nothing, we knew nothing about the food industry. We knew we had a great product. So we make Trinidadian pepper sauce. Harmon's from Trinidad and her family's been making this for generations. And a lot of people... Uh, there's a lot of Trinis in Toronto and a lot of people can get a jar of Trini pepper sauce. If they know a Trini, they'll give them a jar. They made at home in a little like glass jar, Gatorade bottle or something, but you can't buy it anywhere. So we decided this needs to be on the store shelves. So let's commercialize it and sell it. But that's all we knew. We didn't know anything about the food industry, about how easy or hard it was to get on the grocery store shelves. So I just assumed we'd try and fail. So what was surprising for me is just that we've actually been successful and then learning everything along the way every every single thing's been a bit of a shock <laughs> yeah that's that's exactly let, let me pick up on that for one second the the things you've had to learn along the way things you never thought you would have to do does anything spring to mind like wow i, I didn't think i'd be doing this in this venture i mean i guess like the one thing that stands out for me is really just the cost of everything like to manufacture a really high quality product in canada your costs are going to be significant right like it's not going to be easy so on the one hand, there's the actual manufacturing, and then there's the need to get your product to your end consumer. So all of your all of your costs to get there are really, really high. So some of the things I've never thought about are things like listing fees. I had no idea there were such high listing fees in most of the major grocery retailers in Canada. I guess it's just a normal part of the industry, but because I was never exposed to this, I had no idea that's what we would be looking at. Sure. And then once you once you pay those listing fees, your product has to still be successful to draw your target consumer and get that product off the shelf. So you've got the listing fee to get on the shelf, and then you have to ensure that you actually still have a product and a consumer who wants that product to get it off the shelf and keep replenishing it over and over and over again. And so you don't learn really what you're doing until you're on the shelves already and you've already paid those listing fees. And now you kind of have to like just hit the road running with anything that happens in between. And like, that was a huge surprise for us, right? Big big surprise. So even if you're selling something that was just say uh, a soft drink, just sugar water that gets marked up to a buck, 
people might say, oh, it's not worth that. It's just a bit of sugar and water in a can. But the amount of money the brand is making is is tiny there. Yeah, and I guess we wouldn't have known that had we not, you know, been exposed to this side of what it looks like to manufacture, distribute, and market products. Because we, because we do all three. Like we're primarily a manufacturer, but like I said earlier, we do do some very minor distribution for smaller accounts, and then we do our own marketing as well too. So we get to see like all the steps in the process and the costs affiliated with that. So it can definitely be a surprise to most people to to say oh i'm gonna get my hot sauce or whatever on shelf and then you learn the cost and you're like okay (laughs) sure so with with backgrounds in in law and engineering i'm assuming you both have basically an mba now going through this business (laughs) basically yeah best mba ever right the practical hands-on one with a lot of risk absolutely (laughs) like like real risk real money you're paying attention there for sure you're earning that one yeah all right, so tell me a little bit about the origin of the sauce. Uh, Carmen, my understanding is it, it's kind of part of your your heritage. Did you learn making this sauce as a, as a child? And how did, the, how did that unfold? Um, so no, I didn't learn uh, how to make the sauce as a child. So I'm uh, Hindu Trinidadian, meaning I'm a ethnically Indian person from Trinidad. Uh, there's uh, about 30% of us in the country. Uh, we were brought over as indentured laborers uh, 150 years ago. Okay. Um, and so my family's from Trinidad and we've been making pepper sauce for about 150 years. And when we got married six years ago, we wanted to incorporate both of our cultures into our wedding. So we had a um, Western Christian ceremony and uh, in our reception, we had elements of both cultures. So Mike um, wore the Shirwani, which is an Indian suit. I wore a Langa, which is like an Indian dress. Uh, my our bridesmaids, my bridesmaids wore um, saris, and a lot of our guests wore like Indian clothing as well. And then we had food from both cultures. And Mike took uh, one of uh, it was actually his idea. He 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 said for the wedding gift favor, we should give away your family's pepper sauce because it's so good, and you know the Canadians will like it because no one will have had something. Like like this and it was a second thought to me but I was like yeah you're right so he got the recipe from my brother actually okay and he experimented with it and made the sauce for our wedding and a lot of my family flew up from Trinidad for the wedding and they were happy with the sauce they gave us a lot of compliments which is huge right to have for Trinidad sure comment on your, your 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 product or it wasn't a product back then but on your wedding gift favor and a lot of the Canadians like a lot of our, our friends came back and said hey like that hot sauce you guys gave away that was really good um and so when we heard that theme over and over after the wedding we just said like you know people are kind of telling us we have a product like do we have a product how often do people give you like an idea for a business so we said let's try to like see if we have an idea for a business and then if it goes somewhere then we'll think about what that would look like to scale it as a business if not then that's okay we both have good rewarding meaningful professions so that was kind of the origin of it (laughs) so the the recipe for the sauce your brother had that he had that written down he had that all saved um not written down (laughs) so my, my mom bakes a lot and she's used to following a recipe where it's like one teaspoon of this yeah, one tablespoon yeah. of that and everything's precise I guess uh, the Trini's way of doing it is some garlic some lime some salt <laughs> enough but not too much yeah what is that I know my grandma used to cook <laughs> like that yeah 
So we, we had to kind of just figure it out by... So he, he got off the phone, right? He, he called my brother. He's like, hey, like, I want to make this for our wedding gift favor. Sure. Um, but Carmen doesn't know how to make it. So can you, like, help me? And my brother's like, yeah, 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 man, don't worry. Okay. So a little bit of lime juice, not too much, okay? Some salt. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't forget it, Papa, right? <laughs> and then he's like, some vinegar, but not too much, right? So then he gets off the phone. He's like, um, Carmen... Your brother just gave me a list of ingredients, but I don't have the recipe. And I was like, what's the difference? And he's like, a recipe is like a method, a way of doing something where you have the quantity, you have the amount, you have the exact process. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't even thought of it like that because I guess I just instinctively knew what my brother meant by some, not too much. Um, but I guess to a foreigner, like, how would you really, like, how do you capture something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a little bit of pre-exposure to this that I would kind of know what he means, but not quite. But then, you know, Mike was like, you guys need to write this down. Yeah. <laughs> you guys need to like write down your recipes and I firm it up. But we don't write down our recipes. We get to the right taste and the right texture and the right consistency through somebody from the culture testing it and telling you if this is correct or if this isn't correct or whatever. So someone's always there as that like safeguard saying, okay, this needs more of this, this needs more of that. So while Mike was making the sauces, I was the taste tester. I was telling him whether he should do a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that. But um, he captured the cultural heritage, right? And then we made it into a sauce. People embraced it, loved it. And and then later we just kind of replicated that and innovated a little bit by like making sure we had the right consistency, the right texture, especially to put into a bottle because um, now the sauces are in a bottle. Initially they were in a little jar. Oh, okay. But yeah. So that was the story of how we captured 150 years worth of heritage in, <laughs> in a bottle. It was all his brilliant idea of writing it out. Yeah, well, I guess I I grew up in a, a culture with no spice and very little flavor. Like, great, my mom's a great cook, but a lot of, like, steamed vegetables and just a piece of meat. So uh, <laughs> it's it's like a whole new world of, like, the Caribbean cooking is a real eye-opener to someone from, from my <laughs> background. So I I know other people in, in the same boat as me will really appreciate it. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I could just imagine. I love the fact that after you got off the phone with Carmen's brother, that Carmen had to like translate and help put the pieces together of yeah. what it actually meant. Because <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time like my grandmother was Italian and she'd make her sauce and meatballs and and I would watch and I would say, okay, how do I make it? And same thing, like, oh yeah, some you know you take some salt. I'm like, well, how much was that? Hold my hold on, I gotta write <laughs> this down, you know. But they just start doing it like it's like second nature because they've been it's doing like intuitive. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. they don't even they just know. And you're like, okay, but I don't that. I need to write this down. You know? So I, I guess that's the problem when you're used to doing something at an expert level and talking to other people that are on your level, and then you talk to a total outsider. Like, even when I've talked to handymen that are used to, like, building stuff, if they're trying to explain it to me, I, it's the same situation. You have to start from scratch. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, hold on, hold on. How do I hold the hammer? You know, let's go yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, no, I, I love it. I love the story. I love how you've, like you said, captured the the culture and the heritage, and you've encased it in a jar for everyone to to share and enjoy. That's fantastic. And we mentioned that you've had to explore a lot of new territory let's say and get your pseudo mba through this so what uh, would you say it was the most looking back now i mean what would you say is like the most challenging part you've had to overcome
I'd say the most challenging part was uh, cash flow. Mm. Um, just uh, so I, I know a lot of other people that are starting businesses, look for investors and eventually aim to sell their company. We're trying to like have a family company. We want to be in, in control. We want to make sure that we produce everything with like the authentic Trini ways and we're making a good product. So we don't want other people to have input and stuff. So we're trying to do this all ourselves just with our own uh, funding, our own money, our, our own like credit. Um, but just the way uh, as you scale, the way the costs just pile up because you get paid later, but uh, in advance, you need to pay all the listing fees, set up your manufacturing space, buy sure. all the raw materials. So just managing cash is really hard. Yeah, I can imagine. And that's probably like a full-time job in itself is someone to, to keep the books and make sure that, that, you know, vendors and the people are getting paid and yeah. 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 Like I said, I'm surprised we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> but you I have, you've overcome it so far. Yeah. yeah. I'd say like in addition to like business cash flow issues, like for me personally, like the biggest challenge I've had to overcome is more of like I guess like personal, maybe even professional. Um, so it's it, it's it's twofold. It's one, learning to trust my instinct. So if I get a vibe or an energy off people or a circumstance or a situation, trust that, right? Um, I find that so often I give people um, or situations the benefit of a doubt. And in business, you really can't afford that. You really can't afford for circumstances, people or situations to turn around and kind of uh, stab you in the back or anything like that. So if you notice that something feels off or there's something, you know, instinctively inside of you telling you maybe have different eyes on this or talk this through maybe with mentors or whoever, uh, learn how to trust that. And I guess like the second thing for me is learning how to have hard conversations quickly and just kind of like rip off a bandaid with again same thing with people whether it's suppliers or employees or whatever it is just have the hard conversations up front get over the I think maybe I like to be liked or something like that I really hate having hard conversations I despise it but the more you do it and the quicker you do it the better for everybody involved in the situation so it's been trusting my instinct and then just learning how to do the harder things that are uncomfortable earlier on so that you can just move forward and keep going with actually doing the important work of growing and scaling a business instead of getting caught up in weeds. So I'd say sure. like those would be my two cents into that. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I mean, it, and it's, it's so easy when you are anticipating an uncomfortable conversation or a confrontation, it's so easy to procrastinate. Or, yeah, I'll do like that tomorrow. Yeah, you know, uh, Jimmy needs to be spoken to. I'll talk to Jimmy tomorrow. I don't want to do it today, you know. But like you said, the longer time passes with nothing being said, the the worse it makes the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just I think like sometimes we have to like talk amongst ourselves, like who's going to have the conversation. I'm very reluctant to doing it, but it's just getting over that aversion of whatever it is that leads me to not want to do it, whether it's fear or like a rejection or whatever it is and just do it. And I think it's just an essential skill in life that you need to have. It, I believe it fully is Hey, as a, as a professor of communication and a communication coach myself, a hundred percent it is you're doing the right thing. But it's it's not easy. It's one of those things where it's simple, but not easy to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and the messaging behind the product, making sure that people know that it is made and manufactured in Canada and it's authentic to the Trinidadian ways. Am I saying that correctly, by the way? Sorry, forgive my ignorance. Is it? Is yeah, that, Trinidadian okay. cultural food heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Did you design the label and then the messaging and where did what was that process like? <laughs> um, so so we both like we both did the whole thing together so we we chose like a bottle type that would showcase the sauce properly because so trini pepper sauces are they're always going to be rich thick and chunky right so that's one of the hallmarks of the pepper sauces they're not a thin sauce like your tabasco or like your franks or some of those major um uh bigger name brands like we're not like that we're a thick rich chunky hot sauce with a lot of really premium peppers such as the scotch bonnet or the scorpion so the hotter pepper types as well as tons and tons of fresh herb especially this one herb called the shadow benny herb which Mm -hmm. is what basil is to thai food that is to trini food so it's an instrumental part of our food without that herb the the food wouldn't be authentic the products wouldn't be authentic so we needed packaging to reflect the texture and consistency well. So it was actually quite hard to land on packaging because a lot of the small woozies type bottles, they have skinny necks and a thick sauce just clumps up in there and it doesn't showcase it well. So to be able to find packaging that showcased the sauce well was really difficult, but we did that all together. Um, we had a great designer who helped with like um, designing for CFIA compliance, which is Canada Food Inspections Agency compliance. So food is heavily regulated in Canada. Obviously you probably know that. And so any claims that you make on a product have to be verified or they have to be supported by what Canada Food Inspection Agency says you're able to say about a product. So, for example, if you say something is all natural, it needs to actually be all natural as per the regulations, because there's a lot of food fraud out there as well, too. So we um, had some really good help from a great design designer. But we really also wanted like a premium feel to the product as well, too, because we are presenting a premium product to market. And then we just went back and forth like a number of times, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh, we know in, unless you've tried the product, we'll have a lot of repeat customers that come back because they love the pepper sauce. But if you've never tried it, you're going to probably buy it off the packaging. So it has to look good as well as taste good. Mm-hmm. Well, my first thoughts, I'll share this with you and with everyone on the air. My, when I saw it, that, the first thought that sprang to mind is like premium like high class that was the first thing i thought of and then i love how you have the the canadian flag on there and like everything that's like packaged in canada and all because you said canada has such strict health regulations and for food and so when i see that i'm like okay if it passes canada you know because i i obviously i work in the states a lot and i travel in the states a lot and there's a lot of food there that doesn't pass canada's regulations so it doesn't come in so but yeah that all said fantastic fantastic and the messaging and i love how you have the scale at the bottom too that was like a lot of sauces don't have that so that the years does it gives the consumer an idea of oh maybe i what's this one like you know how how much can i tolerate you know what would i like mm-hmm. yeah and we have like i think the first call out says trini style so for people who don't know what that means it'll generally mean what i said earlier which is like rich thick chunky and made with premium pepper types that are scotch bonnet and higher. So for example, in the country, we don't grow things like jalapenos. So you'll never find an authentic Trini sauce with like a jalapeno, right? It's, oh. it's just not for the culture. It's not, it's not indigenous to the country. You might find it in like some modern food, but again, it's not just, it's not part of the food heritage, right? So you won't really find a Trinidadian pepper sauce claiming to be Trini pepper sauce if it's like a pepper type that's not really from the country. 
So you'll kind of only know that as a consumer if you're familiar with the culture, but a big part of our brand is to hopefully educate people about this food story that we're part of, which is preserving and documenting authentic Trinidadian cuisine. I love it. I love it. And just out of curiosity, is there, I know there's four out there right now. Is there a fifth in the pipeline? Not anytime soon. It's, okay. It's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work to make a new, a new, a new product. Yeah, we're not close to like what the future holds, you know, in the next couple of years. Um, but we're just really focused on ensuring that we have a good fit with our current product offerings and ensuring we can scale that and continue to offer like the highest quality with those. So we're not trying to just like introduce any anything that could is passing a trend or whatever it is. It's like we said, it's trying to preserve and document the culture. So we wouldn't really come up with something that like is just like cool and new and trending and innovative, but doesn't really fit the the the, the origin of the yeah. Concept. No, I I get you. That makes sense. I was just hoping in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, maybe they have a secret one they haven't. Yeah, we're not like closed <laughs> off to it though. We do experiment, but it's just I think we were very fortunate to have like the first four line on shelf with just inheriting a lot of the other recipes. And I think the next step, having gone through this process, we would be a little bit more like, okay, like, would this fit? Um, is it good for our line? Like, where would it fit, et cetera? So we'd probably think that through a little bit more. So we have some stuff that we're like kind of working on, but whether we're going to try to introduce that out in the next year, we'll see. And we do most of our selling on store shelves, but we do some markets to promote ourselves as well. So we did Carabana last year. We'll do that again this year. And we make really good Trini doubles. If, <laughs> if you've ever had Trini doubles, we do it good. Really good. Oh, Excellent. All right. There you go. Listeners out there, pay attention for that. <laughs> and but we'll give you the last question here because we're, we're running low on time. But I'm, I'm very curious to hear what each of you have to say respectively to this. If you could go back before you started this, uh, say like right at the beginning when you had the idea, and you could tell yourself, your past self, one message that would help them. What would you have liked to know at the beginning that you know now? There's a lot of lessons. I'd, I'd probably say uh, if you're going to start your own business, be prepared to be like really stressed out and have no life for a while. <laughs> okay. That's a heartwarming. <laughs> That's what Mike would say. Yeah, oh my God. Heartfelt, endearing message to the listeners. <laughs> That's your advice, <laughs> Be prepared for sleeplessness. Oh, man. I guess I would just say just start. We were very fortunate to have opportunity in front of us in the sense that we heard people say we had a product that they were interested in and they kept telling us that. So the feedback was good. And then we just said from that, okay, do we have a product? And we showed up one day at a market, blended up some pepper sauce. I didn't really have anything thought through. And then tried to see if we could get, you know, that first sale. And we did get the first sale. Then we got the second, then the fifth, then the hundredth. And one thing led to the next. And we started to think a little bit more strategically. But I would say, I would say that's my advice for anybody who's trying to start anything is just start from somewhere. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be like super thought through. Like I wouldn't even say, you know, it's going to be a lot of stress and, and time and money. It is like, I think you just have to accept that. Like any form of business, I think personally, if, if you're going to be in any kind of business, there's going to be challenge, there's going to be stress, there's going to be work, like whatever, whatever feel it, it, it's in, whether it's tech, whether it's law, whatever, whatever feel it's in, you're going to have some kind of work to do. So I would just say, just start and figure out the details kind of as you go. And as you get a hang of things, like you'll figure out whether you want to do it or not. Right. Oh, I, I would also say just spend the money. So when we started, uh, we were trying to make money right at the beginning and 
save our costs, but we ended up just spending the money anyway. So it's expensive. Just spend the money, make your purchases earlier. They'll pay off sooner. Yeah. There we go. I like that one, Mike, better than the get used to sleepless nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> both valuable. Both He's valuable. A realist. He's a realist. Yeah. You can tell. I can tell right away the dynamic between how, how it works. You guys are just very symbiotic. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a pessimist and she keeps me uh, grounded. She's a realistic optimist. We keep each other honest, yeah. I think. Yes, for sure. Definitely. That brings us to the time for today, but Mike and Carmen, congratulations again on your award-winning sauce and and thank you so much for joining today on the Professionally Speaking Podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much, Ryan. Of course. And to my listeners out there, we wish you success in your future endeavors. Mm -hmm.